From scrounging parts to nine-second passes on this episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Drag racing and drag cars and campaigning and starting from the bottom and working your way up, we talk about on this week's podcast. I've got Doug Gonzalez, who campaigns the DNA drag car that he races with, Anthony Kika, and the two of them have been racing this car for over 20 years. It's a friendship that you hear about, two buddies that have just been doing stuff together for a long time, and how they started at the bottom and worked their way up to be respectable drag racers and guys have been known on the scene for a while. We learned a lot about engine combinations, what it took to get there, and a lot of the ins and outs of campaigning and long-term drag car out of pocket. So it's a great podcast, a good listen. Doug's a good cat. He's been in the scene for quite a while. But first, this episode is brought to you by Ross Wolf. Tired of the same old stuff for your VW? Check out Ross Wolf. They have a variety of accessories for your VW. Gas tank clamps, fender washer kits, IDA jet covers, distributor clamps, velocity stacks, and body-to-pan kits. All constructed of T6 6061 aluminum, anodized in a variety of colors. One of the coolest pieces that I personally like is their locking dipstick. Jason and Jared started this company to fill the void in the VW parts industry where customers receive the service they deserve. Where did the name Ross Wolf come from? Well, check out RossWolf.com to read about a man whose commitment to performance was only matched by his dedication to quality parts. To check out more, go to RossWolf.com and check back often for an always expanding catalog. That's RossWolf.com. R-O-S-S-W-U-L-F.com. RossWolf.com. So support those that support Let's Talk Dubs podcast. And just like that, make sure you support the people that sponsor the podcast. Throw them some business so they keep bringing you good content like this. Also, don't forget, we've got brand new shirt designs on our website, letstalkdubs.com. Show your Let's Talk Dubs support by buying a shirt for your boy to help support the podcast. Three, four total now, super dope shirt designs. Go check them out. We got a retro. We got an old school. We got a new updated uh, Let's Talk Dubs, and then we got the traditional What's Your VW Story. So if you guys are looking for more fresh, dope VW gear, you know where to get it at letstalkdubs.com slash store. Share the podcast with your friends. Also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and leave a five-star review for us at Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review, you get a shout-out on the podcast. We're also going to be starting a new segment. If you're out there, you don't have to be famous in the VW world. Shoot me some pictures of what you're doing and what you're working on. And if you're doing big things and working on stuff that's new and unique, could grab me and put you on the podcast. We'll have our first listener podcast next week. Guy reached out to me on on Facebook and he's doing some big things, some pretty cool stuff. So I grabbed him. We did a podcast, it's about an hour long podcast, pretty detailed about something near and dear to my heart. And you guys will hear about it next week on the podcast. So without any further ado, let's get into this one with Doug Gonzalez with DNA racing and talk about the green mamba and drag racing, street racing, and all the fun stuff that comes with it. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motor Security Blanket. everybody on today's podcast i've got doug gonzalez from upland california you might know him from uh, his campaigning the dna racing green mamba car and uh, he's been in the drag racing scene for over 30 years and because i want to bring some drag racing content to the podcast and help some of you guys out there don't know a lot about drag racing i'm going to some of the heavy hitters the guys that have been in the scene for a long time that can give you some of the history and a little bit of the knowledge that you guys can follow along so doug welcome to the show 
How you doing, Bill? Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Um, you know, you, you and I got connected through Buddy out of Phoenix, and uh, I, I think, and if my, am I not mistaken, a Buddy painted your the the Green Mamba? Yeah, he was the one who did the final artwork on it about five, six years now. Yeah, so uh, I know that he did that for you. And I think, was it on display at the Classic at the time after it got painted? Yep, it was. Uh, we took it to the first Classic right after, and we didn't win Best of Show or anything, but we were proud to have the car there. No, absolutely. I mean, listen, listen. a nice painted drag car is only nice just before the first pass, right? <laughs> Honestly, it's probably too nice for me, but <laughs> right, right. I couldn't stop. I, I, I sent it to Buddy, and I couldn't stop. I mean, he started going and going, and next thing I know, I had a show car in my hands. I'm like, oh man, right? You're like, let's put, let's put some color on it, and then it, like every VW project, it spirals out of control pretty quick. So, oh yeah. Now, I've got you on the show so we can talk about uh, drag racing and kind of you know over the past past decade or so a little bit longer than that like what's been going on in the drag racing scene i want to get into a lot of the stuff like why why the vw scene can't seem to keep one drag racing group together or whatever the case is and we're going to get into that but before we get into that obviously we got to build up some street cred here so let's get into your vw story and how you got into volkswagens well i before i could even drive my dad had an old 70 bug that he'd driven back and forth to long beach for work every day, uh, probably for about 10 years. And my mom had a car, a 64 Ford Falcon that sat in the yard that she'd driven for many years. And they were both abandoned. Neither one was kind of running. And and I guess when I was ready to start driving, I kind of had a choice to, to pick one or the other. And then neither one was worth much. But my dad was a Volkswagen mechanic at the, at the dealer. So he'd always bring home the Hobby W's magazines. And from seeing those little bugs, you know, doing wheelies and hundred miles an hour and I, I mean it was that easy i could have just been a ford guy right now but looking at the magazines i'm like i went with the bug and uh turned 16 got it painted went down to i don't even remember the name of the shop picked up some cow look rubber uh some running boards and next thing i know i had a little cow looker 16 nice. years old yeah nice and you said that's, what, that's what got it started <laughs> and you said your dad worked at the vw dealership my dad was a Volkswagen technician since like 1973, 74, I'd say. Nice, nice. Yeah. And which one was he? Which one was he working at? He started out at Al Taddy. I think that's uh, Bill and Bill and Steve's grandfather, if I'm not mistaken. Oh wow. He started. He started there, then moved over to Circle down in Long Beach, and he was there for many years. Um, but ultimately, I mean, he did a little. He was in Van Nuys and a couple of the shops around. Nice. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, the life of a technician, man. It's always like, uh, who's willing to pay the best price, and who, and who's tired of the service riders, right? Like, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's probably how it goes. So, so now you start. Who we get in a fight with this week? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And who? So, when did you start getting into your first bug? Was that seventy bug that you said you built? And then when uh -huh. do you, when do you start getting into racing? Like, what what triggers you to start drag racing? Um, to start drag, I mean, even that little bug, I mean, my dad didn't have anything special done to it, but the one time we, it's kind of funny this, the way this happened. We were, I had been only seven, seven, eight years old. We went to watch a Herbie movie down in Hollywood. Right. And on, on the way back, the, the case cracked and it leaked oil everywhere. And so we putted it home and, and my dad pulled the engine there and 
when he pulled it out, you know, one of his, he did some of the, the big tricks that they, that they did to the engines at the dealer. And so he fly cut the heads, raised the compression. And, and his big thing is that he ported the, the exhaust, the bump out of the exhaust port. So now he had like a little race 1600 or 1500 probably at that point. Oh, nice. And, uh, and so, you know, he always thought it was this thing, it had a glass pack on it. So, I mean, I, I started driving it and, Pretty quickly, I learned how to drop the clutch faster than I needed to and do a burnout. Before you knew it, I was trying to race anything that I could. I mean, it was it was really slow to be honest with you, but but I was I was driving. I don't know. I, I had a lead foot before that. I was in the bicycle racing, so I was always into speed, you know, shooting hills and stuff like that, seeing how fast I can go. So it's just something that that's always been in my blood to go fast. Well, I think we I, I think you know like the drag racer starter kit is like. Uh, a VW, a VW Stinger, and a Weber Progressive carburetor. It's like that's the, that's the starter kit, and then once you put that on the car, all of a sudden you get that raspy sound from a little sixteen hundred. Next thing you know, you're just wringing its neck everywhere you go, and then <laughs> it just starts like then it just goes more and more and more. So, and then when you decide like so, you're putting this little car around. At what point do you decide like maybe I'd like to go racing or what? So after you do that motor then you're bumping up to like you jump into dual carbs, you start building a stroker or, or you get, get a motor built. How do you evolve into where you get it to the track to the first time? Um, well, kind of the same thing. I started with a little 1835 I built from a, a core that my dad had at the house. And um, eventually with Anthony, we my buddy Anthony Kiko, we found a, we used to look at the penny saver. Was it the penny saver back then? No, yeah. the recycler. Oh yeah, the recycler back in the day. So you always look at the ads, and and Anthony found I think it was Anthony a twenty eighty four, and um, we went to pick it up. Like guy ah, was like two three hundred bucks. We saved you know saved up our pennies, went picked it up, got it to the house, and it, it needed more than it was than it was even than we'd pay for it. Crank was junk, um, heads were junk. Well, actually, we found <laughs> the heads were junk after we actually drove it. <laughs> right, but. You know, I was by that point I was in too deep. You know, I'd already spent a hundred bucks, so why not keep going? So, um, then I met up with Fred Simpson. I found him in the magazine and had him fix all the cracks in the heads, and um, put the engine, put the twenty twenty eighty four together, and you know, before we knew, we probably had a hundred horsepower driving around with with some forty fours, and then put some Delordos on it, and then we started. That's when the, the street racing started happening. We ended up. Uh, Going down to Burger Palace out in Arcadia all the time, right? And I remember the first time, first car we raced. It was actually met some guys at a party through in high school, and they were always talking smack about their Toyota. They had a Toyota with a turbo. It was a little, it was a truck, and it was fast. I mean, it was a pretty hard running truck. But this guy would do burnouts for like two blocks at once. And I remember going to Anthony used to work at a place called Shore Western out in Duarte, and uh, we did a lot of little side jobs there for. For, uh, for free on, on their dime, kind of. So hopefully they don't hear this too. But <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> went in there, put the same thing. We put a stinger on it, bought some race gas. Probably didn't need race gas. I think the motor probably only had like eight to one compression. Right. But we put race gas in it. Went down to the street race, and we raced this. Uh, we raced this Toyota, and they set up the race. And it was Anthony and I by ourselves. And then here comes this Toyota guy with every other car from a high school. I'm talking a, a row of about 30 cars to watch this race. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so we line them up, and, uh, man, I drop the clutch, and the thing is gone, you know. And it's, and we're, I'm out in about third or fourth gear, and, and, you know, the car wasn't set up, so it just runs out of gas in third gear. 
right. and just falls on its face because no fuel, no fuel pump that was that was worth using. It probably had a, a facet at that point, and uh, and man, even falling in its face in third gear, I stayed out in front of the guy, and from then on, it was like well, that was pretty cool, you know. So you know, then we re- we called Fred, hey, we we've got in a race, you know, and what do you think? What happened, you know? He said, well, you got our first thing you got to do is put in a a fuel pump and a line and. And that was it. That's that's where the the first shot in the, of a, a real adrenaline happened. And you know, went then we left for school, got out to Arizona, went to UTI with Anthony again. It mm-hmm. seems like we're we've been partners for a long time. So went to school probably a year or two after that that first street race, and and got into making things better. I mean, you're going to school to learn how to fix cars, and they have a high performance class. So you, know, you start learning more about using gauges and miking and. At that point, those first heads that were that were originally basically trash, they were they were done. So, I had a set of heads that my that my dad had picked up somewhere, little dual ports, and I we took them to a guy over there down the street that from the from the school in Arizona. He welded up the the tops for us and put in big seats, and we started porting on them. And Anthony went to school in the morning. I went at night and. He'd poured a little bit in the morning. I'd poured a little bit at night, and he'd poured in the morning, and I'd poured at night in the engine class. And we took the heads, and we went from running 14s with our first, with the original heads down into the well under the 13s with our our heads. We didn't know what we were doing. We we're doing valve jobs with with the little new way seat cutters. And yeah. actually, we'd already ran our first race, which was the UTI drags, and we came in second at that at, at a bracket race. So. Nice. You know, we started off pretty good. I think if we would have been as bad as we got at some points, we probably never would have. We would have quit, you know. But but we started off good. We we did that. Then we got those little street heads that that we finished up at the school. Got to uh, got to a bugarama. Had a bit of. We were always bugaramas in Arizona. And got to the first bugarama when we got the car running, and we actually won the sportsman class. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. I was always decent on the lights. So. Yeah, well, you know, the, the the thing with drag racing street bugs, you know, it's like one of those deals where it's the first person that gets the go, you know what I mean? Like especially in a Volkswagen, you you'll get you'll make up so much distance right out of first and second gear. And I and I think on the street, right? Like not a lot of people are really running full quarter miles cuz when you're locked on a track and you're running a full quarter mile, all of a sudden when you're driving a 14 second car that you think is faster than fast, you get on a quarter mile track and that's a long drive. He's <laughs> changing the radio station. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, and, and, you know, it's one of those deals where it, that's the kind of stuff that gets you fired up and, and keeps moving on. And then you decide to, you decide at that point, you know, you guys have got this car, you're running 13s in it. And now what's your next step? How do you, you're, you're doing some sportsman. If everybody doesn't understand sportsman class, go ahead and give them a, a sportsman class is a bracket class, right? Bracket class. I think at that point it was probably like 1299 and slower. And I mean, back then we'd have, I mean, sportsman class was probably four to five rounds of racing just to get to the final. Right. You know, the classes were huge back then. Um, then we decided to go to Pro Eliminator, but I wanted to. I was bracket racing was cool. I, w- I was pretty decent at it. We did pretty good at a, at a good bunch of bracket races um, when we were out there in school. Went to a few V8 races that we'd run till one, two, three in the morning, and we'd be getting into the, the final rounds. I mean, I got to a final once and lost. Actually, broke out, broke out by a, I red lit by by a sow, and I ran on my dial in the final. <laughs> 
against oh, wow. a bunch of V8s that we'd ran all night. That was, even though I lost, it was like a highlight. I'm like, dang, man, that would have been cool to beat all the V8s that day. But wow. um, and, and what people sometimes don't understand about running a bracket class is, especially with a stick shift, a lot of times you're racing against automatics, which is just like pin it and steer. Where yeah, exactly. Driving a stick shift, you know the the whole. So the, for those that don't know about like a sportsman or bracket racing, bracket bracket sportsman, those classes are you put your dial in time and your goal is to run as close to that time consistently, and they'll stagger the start lights so that you might be a fifteen second car running against a nine second car, and they'll stagger the lights based on your dial ins. And in theory, you guys should cross the line at the same exact time, and exactly. And the, and the whole key with that is consistency. Now, what makes you decide to step up to Pro Eliminator, and what's the and what's the premise of the Pro Eliminator class for those that don't really know? Um, well, what happened is, you know, obviously at one point you start realizing, okay, this car I had a the street car was a seventy. I probably could have converted to a swing axle. Didn't really think about it at that point. But the thing was a tank. No matter. I mean, at, at the end of it, it was a potato chip. You know, it had. We'd gutted the doors. It was funny because my dad would look at the car and he's like, he'd just kind of shake his head and walk away because we were, we'd cut the dumbest things off of it to just save a, a, a half a pound. You know, with the insides of the doors. Right. Uh, you know, no seats. Took out carpet. Uh, gutted everything. Just gutted as much as you can. And no matter what, the car was still heavy. So I'm like, man, what's the next step? We got to get a lighter car. So I sold the red car to a friend of mine and, and then found the, the current car, which is at that point was painted yellow in, in not house of colors, but colors of houses paint. And uh, I mean, it looked like it had been done with a brush. <laughs> right. It's the, there's house of colors, which is like the high end. And then there's colors of house paint, which is the absolute <laughs> other end of the spectrum. <laughs> exactly. So, man, that, that, that started a whole... And it, I don't remember it at this point. You, it seemed like it was just days, but I mean, we peeled the, took aircraft paint paint stripper and and peeled all the paint off of this car. Uh, bought it, drove all the way to San Diego to pick up a nice fiberglass front end with, um, and just little by little, just started went and bought a roll cage kit. I mean, we again, we didn't know, so I was at the swap meet, bought a a sixteen hundred or class eleven roll cage, put that in the drag car. I mean, it was. You know, not the right size. Luckily, the car wasn't fast enough. Yeah. Um, but at that that short western place, you know, we managed to to put a cage in the car with Anthony, welded it, uh, made our own tranny raise kit, raised the tranny, um, and then put that 2084 in it, and started racing. Actually, at that point, our other heads were almost junk, and sold those to a friend of mine that wanted them for a street car and i bought a set of fred's um performance technology his uh shos right so that was where that was going to go put the shos on it and we painted the primer the car black and went out to our first bugarama with the 2084 and managed to oil the whole track <laughs> actually the starting box probably four <laughs> times just because Fred had drilled the the bail hole for the for the valve cover bail all the way through, he drilled it through. Man, I'm doing burnouts <laughs> and just filling it up and just leaking the whole. It's like, ah, oh, what the heck? So, you know, came home disgruntled and started looking at it and then saw what it was. Put a little silicone in it and headed down to Carlsbad. And uh, again, I mean, this was all swap meet stuff. I had some old Goodyear swap meet slicks. Uh, my buddy's old center lines. And I had some drag slicks from, that were 
probably rock hard at that point again you i mean you're really green you really look back and say dang i really didn't know <laughs> right and and you're really <laughs> and you're doing this on a week you're doing this on a weekend budget thinking like well hey man that guy's not using those slicks there's looks like there's plenty of plenty of miles to go on those slicks <laughs> I yeah. I like I personally you start saying things yourself like I personally like a hard set of slicks because they're better you know what I mean like you, you come up with this own justification but it's like hey why why spend a few hundred bucks when you get a, a set of you slicks for something and so yeah the the budget aspect of staying in for this performance it's like you've got this desire to drag race and now you're trying to do it with the extra couple shekels you got in your pocket so you're 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 looking for everybody's takeoffs and let goes and all those things. Yep. And yeah, and it gives you a certain appreciation for every tenth of a second you gain. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. There's it, there's definitely a pride to it. And I and I think part of the drag racing thing in it is that you know some guys are out there. You know, it's just like anything else, right? You're out there and you're like, man, I built my car in my garage, and then you see a guy that that has a turnkey car that was built by a shop, and you're like, well, yeah, who can compete with an open wallet or unlimited or whatever? But I think it takes both to keep the scene going, but I mean, I think when yep. you're when you're grinding it out and you're working all week on the motor to make four or five passes on the weekend, six passes on the weekend, and you know you've done all the work yourself, you've built the motor yourself, yep. you, you've done all the stuff. There's a, there's a huge amount of of personal accomplishment in that, and especially with like I said, with every tenth of a second gained in that in that fighting your way to faster times. And so, so when you switch to this new car, run that 2084, after you get the oiling down the track, which is, by the way, for, for the listeners, like everybody wants attention when they're drag racing. That is not the attention <laughs> that you, everybody's like, get off the track, loser. You just ruined it for us. Now we got to wait an hour for the track to get cleaned up. You know, like that's not the, you know, I, I was trying to get a buddy of mine here, a friend of mine here in town puts on the West Coast Hot Rod Association and he does drag races here, Phoenix and Bakersfield. And I said, Hey man, I, you know, I, I got a connection to the VW scene. I'd love to see if we could pair up, you know, maybe show up at one of your events and do some stuff. I get a bunch of VWs out here and he's like, nah, bro. He's like, dude, you guys, the VW guys oil down the track like all, all the time. And I remember going to some of these bug ins, right here in Vegas. And I'd go to the bug in and it's like, Oh, let's go watch some drags, man. You go like two cars go. And then one car, just one car loses it. And then it's like 30 minutes of sitting there. And yeah. waiting for them to not clean just the that track. he goes down the whole track. Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so yeah, it's not the attention you want. So, first time you get this car dialed in, you go to Carlsbad and you get this thing dialed in, and you run this car, same motor, different car. Yeah. And well, with the new heads and the and the goal at that point was like we want to run an, an eleven. You know, that was the goal. Yeah. And uh, and and we we put we put wheelie bars on the car. It was you know J. Johnny Speed and Chrome wheelie bars mm-hmm. made the mound again. Everything Only the best. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, got got those on there, and uh, we go out to to Carlsbad, and and no matter what we did to the suspension, and I mean, what did we know at that point? No, change the air. Probably had like Pet Boy shocks on it. Sure. And the car would just would just annihilate the tires for like basically first gear and in the second gear, and then run like a like a high twelve. Like what the fuck, you know. And we're, you know, we're like, dang. And then the, the last pass that night at Carlsbad, the car does a burnout for about 30 feet. And those tires finally found their life. And the thing just stands up. It just, boom, you know. Nice. And it gets all the way to the end of the track, and it runs a 1201. <laughs> uh. So I come back, and he's all, 
and uh, we're all pretty excited. Did the, the big old wheelie? I mean, the car's never done anything like that. And uh, and he's like, dude, it still didn't run eleven. Oh, so. Um, but then now, now we're confident. Okay, no more oil, and the car's running straight, and we got the tire thing figured out, and we head out to Phoenix again for another bug around. I don't, I don't know why we never went to SAC, and I don't know if I was afraid of going up the Grapevine or what, but we always picked Phoenix to go for some reason. Right. And we went out to Phoenix, and at that point it was before it was 1190. I think it was called no, it was called Super Gas now, but they used to call it 1190 Index Class. And uh, man, we got to that race. And it was one of those things. I mean, I was still single, and I remember it, it was rent was due in a week or two, and my rent share was like <laughs> 500 bucks. And it's like, fuck, I don't have 500 bucks, but I'm going racing, and if I don't win, I'm screwed, you know? Right. And man, we came back with the check. Nice. Yeah, we we won the class, and and it was pretty cool. We won the class. We actually stayed because the next day was our our UTI school drags, and some of the teachers remembered us and. Ran a few of the V8s and dropped some jaws, and car ran uh, 1189, 1190 all day long. We won the class, nice. and it was you know, that was that was again right. It's kind of like golf, you know. It's like you might have it's 17 bad holes. That last hole, you make that perfect drive, and right. here I am. I'm back again. It's not going to let you go, you know. <laughs> you walk away, and you're like, I think I'm getting this. I think I'm getting this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we won the class and and did uh, super gas or, or 11. It was 1190 and super gas for. Probably about a year, but no matter what, I, I couldn't. I wasn't a fan of hitting the brakes, you know. Right. Because eleven ninety, you still got to touch those brakes at the end of the track, you know. And it's like it just wasn't my thing, and and it started getting to a point where I just wanted to make the car go faster. So I'd break out almost every super gas race. I'd break out at one point, and um, and now super and then, gas uh, super gas is a dial-in class. Eleven ninety index, yeah. It, so dial-in. it's a it's eleven eleven ninety and slower. And. Well, yeah, but you want to run. No, you have to run. 1190 is everybody's index, and you both leave on a pro tree, and whoever runs closest to 1190 without breaking out or gets there first. Right. Like you're trying to, everybody's trying to hit 1190 as the number. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So these are all cars that are probably 1150s, 1160 cars that you're trying to, if you, and and, I mean, because you have to build, try to hit, try to dial in at 1190, you got to have like a low 11 second car so you can compensate for a bad start, a late tree, you know, you know, a little too long on the clutch, whatever. So, and and you're still running this 2084 CC motor? Yeah. Yeah. So 2084. 2084 is what displaced? What's boring stroke on that? It's uh, a 78.4 by 92. And uh, the the SHO heads, you brought those up that Fred Simpson does. The SHO heads, what was the SHO head specifically? SHO was like a good or better, kind of like what everybody had done, the, the street eliminator. Mm-hmm. Not as many fins, but Fred's, Fred's head was just made out of really good material. So uh, it was a, it was a new... Ported by Fred. It was a new cast head. Uh-huh. New cast. It's stock. I mean, you could call it stock. I mean, because it, it, the configuration is a stock VW configuration, dual port head. But, um, yeah, the material was really strong. You know, you, you the valves were moved over, so you could put a little bigger intake valve or a real bigger intake valve if, when Fred got creative. Um, so, yeah, it was that was basically it at the... At that point, and so now you. I mean, it was right there with the autocraft. It was a good head. Yeah, and, and you're now getting, and you're now getting kind of like you want to go. I mean, drag racing, you just want to go faster, and then once you just jump up. So the next class after super gas is what? 
So uh, again, at the if there, you know, there's always someone to to maybe boost your ego a little bit. He's like, dude, I know, I think you could run Super Street, and that's that's Fred. And I don't know if he just saw our determination, or you know, we we're running decently with what he had given us. Mm-hmm. And and he and he's all, I'm doing a new set of heads for Andy Costello, and he's gonna send you sell if you want. I'll get him to sell you his old one. So I'm like, again, I mean, I'll I'll take hand, you know, seconds and, sure. and see what I could do with it. So um, got Andy, got Andy's heads, and I think Fred welded some valve covers on them to make him a little. In more modern, he put like auto, a full, full uh, super flow valve covers on them, mm-hmm. but basically took those heads and ran those things for four or five years. And man, it, I mean, I we always knew we were down. I mean, the the flow numbers weren't there to go as fast as some of the guys. I was still running a stock case, flat tap it. Um, you know, started out with with four fifty two fifty one carburetors, fifty one Webers that had actually had since. Since I had the streetcar, I put them on the street, my 51. And I built what a, the same born stroke that I run today, a 84 crank with a 96, now it's a 96 8 piston. So basically, from the first time I built a super street engine to today, it's the exact same combo. And built the motor again at home, went out to, uh, went out to Carlsbad again, and uh, I think it was respectable. We ran like a 1050. Nice. And so, you know, 120. Six one twenty seven. I'm like, all right, that's cool. So, you know, again, we we felt good. We decided to go out to super heat races and maybe qualified. Probably didn't. I mean, it was a lot of cars back then. I think it took us. I mean, it was it was actually pretty hard. The competition was really good. Mm-hmm. And again, we were really be, really behind the eight ball on parts. I mean, I still had a welded crank, uh, eagle rods. Um, I had a decent set of pistons I bought from JC. Uh, still had those fifty twos. And then, uh, and then we, I remember we, dyno. Go ahead. We dynoed the motor over at Rogers. It made two hundred and two hundred and twenty-seven horsepower, which is two twenty-seven. You know, kind of naturally aspirated. Naturally aspirated, which is in today's numbers embarrassing, but well, that I, was what I bolted what, together. What was the displacement on the motor? That is a twenty-two, twenty-four seventy-two, something right around there. Okay, so that's running like a that's not running like a like an eighty-eight crank or a ninety crank. A- eighty-four crank. With a ninety-six, that point was ninety-six-seven piston, three-eight-ten. Nice. And so you're on a two-twenty-seven on a twenty-four-seventy, twenty-four-seventy-two, naturally aspirated, which uh-huh. is, I mean, and we can go down that road of like the the whole naturally aspirated versus turbo and all that kind of stuff. And and it's funny because the naturally aspirated guys look at the turbo guys like, yeah, well, anybody can go fast with a turbo, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because really, to get real consistent and real fast with a carbureted motor, it's you got to build. Uh, both have to be durable, but I think you can compensate a little bit with the turbo to some degree. But also, you know, even with the turbo, if it's not dialed in right, you can grenade that motor pretty quick. So, Quickly, yeah. So you, so you, now you're running 1050, and then Super Street. What is the what is the premise behind the Super Street class? Like, what's the, what's the outline of that class? Is it straight up times? Is it times versus yeah, consistency? Heads up. So it's heads up all, no matter what. All heads up, yeah. I mean, you want to be consistent, uh-huh. but, I mean, if you can go faster every pass, which is like what was always my craving, go faster and faster, I mean, you always want to come back and make, you know, except for maybe the final. It's like, all right, let's go back to our fastest tune of the day and, and run that, but you're trying to chase something 
more every pass if possible. And what and what kind of compression you run on these motors? Uh, that little engine. When I finally really started learning how to work the motor, I had it probably up over seventeen to one. Wow. So yeah, was, it, was that, that little, little, little was it run on alcohol? No, it runs on. It was ran on race gas. I mean, I was even back then. I was probably giving up some power on the fuel that I was buying. I think I was probably running C fourteen. There was better fuels back then, but again, the budget thing, you know. Sure, sure. 20, 40 bucks a gallon or fifteen bucks a gallon. Fifteen bucks. I'm I'm racing. I mean, I you know because then I didn't hit my dad. Like I told you, his hot rod was a a fifteen hundred single port with a ported exhaust port, and you know so I didn't have any true race background anthony didn't have any racing background so right basically we kind of just going on the fly and learning and learning and studying you know or or paying attention to what's happening and you know of course you read magazines they scat cranks are better bug pack cranks are better than what you got and you know eventually i i, I went to a forged crank and and the vib- some of the vibrations went away and uh got a better set of rods hoping to keep the rods in the engine and um Got that that 2084. By the time we were done with it, with the exact same heads, and I bought a set of 58s. And with the 58s, we picked like picked up like 10 horsepower straight from the 52s. But by the time I was done with those heads, I think it was up to like 200 and 270 horses, and the best pass was like a 1030. And the record record was like, I think those guys were running like mid 20s was like the real fast car but i mean we were we were in the we were right in the hunt you know 1030s and change and then at this time is this around the time that that the uh nhra starts doing they they start doing their import stuff and then um i mean when does that come yeah, into play so, and then and also my question is during this time you know battle of the imports all this stuff starts going on What's the talk amongst VW drag racers? Because you know we had Ron Loomis on the podcast, and he talked about you know a lot of people thought he kind of left the VW scene, but he was still doing his VW job during the day, and then going to racing, you know, Chevrolets and stuff on the weekends. But uh, what was the what was this? Because because it starts falling apart, I think with with the sanctioning body that does the racing. Yeah, I well, mean, it's in. Is that correct, or because from an outsider's yeah. perspective, that I'm not, I'm not a heavy drag racer. I'd love to, uh-huh. but um, you know, I just don't, and who knows, I could. But, um, but like from an outsider's perspective, it's like we had the PRA, and then we had the BRS, and then there was the Battle of the Imports, and then there was, um, you know, like IDRC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what what's the issue with all these, and what and what what starts to happen? Like what makes it suck for the racers where they're just like because that's what it comes down to if the racers don't show up like you got no no one cares um i mean if you look at it i mean i I think in fact i think we're talking about adam wick before we started yeah and i always remember that somebody said adam wick saying that drag racing is like taking a handful of dollars and seeing a handful of hundreds and seeing how fast you could burn them you know because it's expensive right um I'm sure you've heard the one where what's the quickest way to become a, a millionaire drag racing. And it's like, start with 2 million, you know? <laughs> right. and, and so, you know, it's, it's really, it's really a passion, but obviously there's, unless you're John Forrest, there's no money to, I mean, there's not money to be made and nobody does it for the money, but you know, you get out to a race and 
I mean, a, a good drag race, a good long trip, weekend, two day race, three day race. You're talking fifteen hundred to two grand, you know, for for air, servicing the car, race gas, race oil, because you got to change the oil every race. You got to change bearing service. If you got to pay for tranny repairs, you know, it right. just adds up. And you go there, you race, and because of problems that they've had in the past, the 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 classes are dwindling, and you get there and you win the race and you get 300, 400 bucks. It's like, damn dude. I mean, this doesn't pay for anything, you know? Right. So that's, you know, unless there's a point, there's, there's certain points that like you'll get these battles going where, where it becomes uh bragging rights and, and you'll go no matter what, like Roger Crawford and I were doing for a while. I mean, we were, when the PRA was dying, we were, we were racing for a trophy and that was it. And I mean, we're talking, you know, $30,000 Volkswagen engines and $100,000 plus cars. But we were going to every race no matter what because we wanted to see who had more that week, you know? Right. And uh, and so when that dies out and you really sit back and you're like, holy smoke, I'm getting ripped off. <laughs> right, right. I'm putting on the show and and because, I mean, you know, the drag races, the cars are the show, you know? Sure. And and it becomes it becomes that, that I mean, I think, I think that's some of it, you know, and as the competition dwindles and – you know, you have less people to compete, and it just doesn't. It, it loses a little bit of its of its of its, uh, of its fun. Yeah, and so um, now talk to me about the PRA at the not not PRA, but I mean uh, Battle of the Imports. NHRA starts getting into starts really recognizing the import market. How does that affect the VW drag racers? And what do you know? You know, I'm sure a buzz starts to go like, "Hey, man, I'm going to ditch this stuff and go." And race, you know, go race some of this Battle of the Imports, and then how does the door open for Battle of the Imports, you know, to get VWs in there? Because we heard the story, we heard one part of the story from uh, from Scott that was on the podcast. Um, uh-huh. How did, how does that all come together and in the VW scene, and how's it seen, and and who goes and who stays? Well, I was, I'd probably say that I was one of the first ones to go race. And I definitely the battle of the imports, at least out here. And they were bringing in a um, an all motor class because they were running the all motor circuit around the whole country. And and I call up the promoter. I think if I remember the guy's name was Frank. Pretty cool guy. And they're like, I'm like, what do we need to weigh? So they, oh, we need to, you need to weigh this much. So you know, we figured out a way to get a bunch of weight. Got to the car. Hey, where are the scales? Oh, we don't have scales. Well, how do you know how much my car weighs? You know. So it was kind of crazy. And we 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 qualified it. I mean, this is when when all motor was starting for the Hondas, they were, they were pretty slow and we qualified number one by a bunch. It, at the, <laughs> it was at Fontana. They actually set up the eighth mile at, in the, on pit row. It was pretty cool. And so we were set up, set up to run there. We get there the next day and we walk up to the ladder. I'm like, man, we got number one. We got this race covered. You know, we're done. And purse was big, 2,000, 2,500 bucks for the win. And, um, and it, again, compared to the, the Volkswagen races, that was sure. pretty dang good cash. But I mean, you got to those races and it was a show. I mean, there's, you, you know what? I can't say that. Bubba Rambo's back in their day were pretty, pretty big too, you know? Right. But those, those guys had some big shows and every, every class had big purses. And, uh, we get there and we look at the ladder and it's like, well, why are we not on the ladder? And it's like, well, the, the sponsor's a Honda guy and he doesn't want a Volkswagen to win his class. I'm like, dang, dude. So, they quickly set us up into an, an impromptu class and they set up what they called all mo, all, all rear wheel, no, rear wheel drive pro, something like that. And they set us up with, um, my car, uh, Marty Staggs had a turbo bug he used to run. 
Um, right. A couple of the guys that had, uh, and then a bunch of the, I don't know if you guys would remember, if you'd remember, but there used to be like a Supra and an old uh, Turbo Joe, I think it was a, a, a Pino that was turboed. Uh-huh. I mean, this is years ago, and they set us up against these cars that were running nines, but it was only eighth mile on a track that had no traction. And like uh, we were talking earlier, I mean, we dropped a clutch and we were out, you know, 40, 50 feet, and they had to try to catch us. And we nosed out every car for that race. I mean, we raced nine second turbo cars with our with our high ten second second bug, and we won the class that day. And uh, Frank comes up, he's like, "Dude, good show." He hands me two thousand dollars cash. I'm like, "Nice, dude." And so, yeah, that was that was where it started looking good. But then, like Scott jumped into the IDRC, and I don't know why we didn't follow. I mean, really, none of us followed. I mean, there was a lot of good bugs that would have gone there and and done really well. The year we finally decided to, we show up, and uh, one of the competitors shows up with. Uh, parts that made his car faster than the typical car mm-hmm. and so instantly the honda guys just threw a fit you know and like scott's like jumping up and down why would why would you do that i mean these guys are our friends <laughs> it was the funniest thing yeah. you know and everyone's arguing and and so it, next race in between the next race and, and that race they decide uh, we have a meeting they take away okay you can no longer run those parts now the honda see that you could run those parts so they are allowed to run them and before the end of the the season, the Hondas are out in front of us by when we beat them basically by half a second at the first race, we're half a second down by the last race of that year. So that was like 2002. And was was that just because technology on the import side was going, or they were getting like full factory support, or what was? No, they just figured it out. I mean, yeah. they started figuring it out. You know, they have five speeds. Sure. Uh, they started figuring out that you could move the cams back and forth. Uh, they put those, you know, they put it. Was, the big thing was a vacuum pump. They've added a vacuum pump that was good for a tenth or two. Right. And and they were they were, you know, what they let us keep our weight, but but we were still running pretty heavy with an antiquated engine. And these guys were just figuring out how to go faster and faster. And like I said, by the end of the year, they'd had us by by half a second. And we still we managed to finish, I think, fourth in the country and third on the west. Yeah. Pretty pretty good racing. That was that was fun. And I I mean, we probably would have done better had a tranny break at, at one race actually a two trannies break at one race that that basically killed our chances to to win the championship but but um as as it went and they they got into the the imports got heavy with the the big factory money and that's what killed that you know it, yeah. it became so corporate and it was just you know the little guy couldn't compete anymore and so you guys end up you know that that kind of that has it runs its course with the VWs to where now your VWs came in dominating, and then the import guys turn the tables and start getting you know I mean obviously with uh, precision fuel injection, ignition control, all that kind of stuff. Once they yeah. get that stuff figured out, they can really start you know squeezing out all the power they can out of their you know two thousand you know year two thousand engine design. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. after that, yeah, they're, they're flying and they're aerodynamic too. I mean, we got that big windshield slowing us down. It was like, it just wasn't, you know, I race anybody. I don't care. I go, I'll run John force. Like I always say, but, but you know, you know, when, you know, when you don't have enough. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So you guys are, you've ran its course with the drag racing in the battle of the imports. And then, 
at this time because a lot of guys probably started doing like, well, if there's a VW race or Battle of the Imports, there's more money at Battle of the Imports, I'll go to that. So that has a uh, does that have a negative impact on the VW drag racing scene? No. You know what? At that point, everybody was kind of doing all of them. I mean, we were going to the import races and we go to the PRA races. PRA had, had dwindled down to probably six events a year from the 18 or 20 they used to have. Yeah. So it was easier to handle, but I mean, some of these guys were going across the country chasing the IDRC race. Their, their championship purse was big. Every race was big. Um, so they, they were following. We just did the West Coast stuff, but, but, um, you know, the, the PRA and everything was still going pretty strong. I mean, we were still keeping that exciting and, and we were, the competition was good. I mean, the top three cars were probably all running 1030s. Um, you know, and a couple guys 1040s. So the racing was always pretty good in Super Street. Um, and then, then it started slowing down again. You know, it's, uh, there was, it kind of, kind of dwindled for, I don't know if it was just performance. It seemed like we'd hit a wall. Yeah. And, and then, um, my engine program had kind of hit a wall and I probably didn't get as creative as I, as I got after, uh, changed careers, started making a little bit more, more money so I could afford. For one thing, I, I almost quit when I was breaking two, two type one trannies every race. It was like, you know, right there off the bat, you're spending, you know, fifteen hundred, two grand to get your trannies fixed every race, and and so I bought a bus tranny, and that just opened up a whole other avenue where you could just basically run this thing as hard as you want, and it would last forever. I mean, I have what we raced at one race, the tranny actually cracked, was leaking oil. We had rags stuffed in the in the frame horns, catching oil, and don't t- you know, don't tell anybody that, but right. <laughs> catching the oil so it wouldn't get on the track, and we'd race. We raced to the final in that race, and and if we, I didn't top off the oil because the last last run it didn't get in the gear, it, it was low on oil, but that bus tranny was just incredible. I mean, go two years without touching it, you know. It was it was it opened up a whole whole new vision as to what we could do, you know. So more now we could throw more suspension at the car, raise the RPM on the launch, not worry so much about being soft on the clutch, and then the next step was when. Um, when the when the racing started again slowing down, um, component development, which was basically Ray Fitzpatrick, one of the original Autocraft guys, mm-hmm. his son was running dragsters but had a sand rail, and he wanted to get his sand rail to stop breaking rockers. So he came up with the component development rockers and heads, which is basically a, a hopped-up Autocraft. Right. And those are those are owned by. Roger Crawford. Now he's the one that sells those. And, um, with those, with those heads, you know, talking with Anthony and we start talking about, you know, we're having a conversation over some beers one night. Cause Anthony was my roommate at that point still. And we're like, like, you know, we're talking about flow and he's like, well, what do you kind of flow are you getting out of these things? And I'm like, he's like about that much. And then he gives me a number and I'm like, shit, did you read her nines with those heads? You know? Right. And, and so that, that, that's like, okay, now we're looking at running thirties. And I'm like, dude, if we make this thing work, there's enough cylinder head there to run a nine, you know? So that became the next goal. And, and so Anthony managed to get it themselves a set of the heads, put them on the engine. And all this time we, believe it or not, we hadn't won a super street race. We didn't, we, we couldn't win our race. We'd go to the finals. I'd red light in the final. One time I think the other car broke, uh, lost a couple finals. You know, right there, but just couldn't win that race. And right. uh, put the heads on, got on the dyno, picked up like 10 horsepower just on the head swap. And I'm like, cool. You know, so now we're up to 285, 
go to the track and sure enough first race we win and we we won with one head only having three rock three studs on it the it, the stud broke out of the out of the block really but yeah at the thing we, we won the race and it's like holy shit you know so now we're now the chase and and uh you know camshaft changes valve springs i mean i'm putting 1400 pound valve springs on the heads you know chasing more lift getting the things to rev up well over 9000 rpm no problem 9000 uh, rpm yeah yeah and, and that, this, on, that little, this on the, 80, that? the 8496 motor that's the 80 yeah because like a like a that's that's still the same combo. That's always been my thing. I mean, I I could have gone down and bore. I could have got a smaller crank or bigger crank, but my goal is to see how much I could ring out of that same combination. You know, it's always I I, I guess I'm goal oriented. You know, that's how sure. that's how my thing is. And so at that point, at 285, and you know, again, tweaking on it, changing it. You know, can we get a little more compression out of it? Can we advance the cam? Can we retard the cam? How about these springs? How about these push rods? You know, hey, look at the carburetors. Let's try this Venturi. Uh, get on the dyno. I mean, even motor oils. I mean, we found incredible, fine, you know, oil, uh, motor oils giving us huge horsepower benefits, changing the, the viscosities of the oil. Like what kind of horsepower? Um, like, give me an example of like everybody, because uh, you see that everybody runs Kendall 50 or, you know, 2050. Yeah, that, that's what, you, don't, you don't run that in the, all, in the super shoot engine. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like all the street cars and the tech boxes, all that stuff that everybody sees, everybody's running Kendall 2050 or, you know, Brad Penn 2050. But what what are they? What kind of oil are they running in, in drag cars? Um, we've run uh, Royal Purple, Redline, and lately we've been running still some Redline and um, uh, Lucas, Lucas, was Roger's sponsor, so by benefit of his sponsorship, I'd always find a way to get a couple jugs in, into my pit too. So and what and, we and, use Lucas too. And what kind of horsepower gains are you talking? And what's the viscosity difference? Um, going from like a twenty fifty that we'd break in with, or sometimes a like a yeah twenty fifty, and then we would drop in our ten weight. Ten Royal weight. Purple, it pick ten weight. Uh huh. Just... It would pick up. It would pick up about thirteen to fifteen horsepower. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, dead serious. Because so it, then it, once I saw that, I'm like, "There's another bunch of money I got to spend every race." <laughs> right, and I mean, would you do but, like you change the oil literally after like every weekend or every race? Oh, every race, yeah, you got to throw it away. Every race, yeah. you're changing oil. Oh, every race, I'm taking the motor out of the car. Tearing it down to at least the rods, making sure the rod bearings are good, checking the, the wear on the cylinders. Anthony takes the head, services them, checks the valve job, checks the valve springs. If the valve springs are low in pressure, we got to change the, the valve springs. we got to resurface the clutch, uh, make sure the tranny is good, uh, put it all back together, get it back in the car, and if it goes well, we get the dyno. So it's a job. Wow. So you've, yeah. I mean, it's a total teardown every, after every race. It's, mm-hmm. uh... And if you Go ahead. If you find anything that's wrong with that rod bearing, then you got to go into the mains and tear the whole block down. Wow. And and usually, yeah. I mean, usually when you see something like that going sideways, it, there, there's a cause for you seeing something worn out on the heads, or something. Or I mean, something wearing out on the on the rod bearings, like something got in the oil, or um, just freaks you know what? I mean, I, we used to run just like a basic off the shelf bearing, and I think the I think the material actually lost the quality they were using when it got worse but 
we started switching over to a harder true v8 racing bearing had them narrowed and put those in there and started changing clearances on cranks um and started finding ways to get get them to live changing oil pumps making you know a little more volume uh pump with more volume uh better quality pump and yeah but you know you go through you always start finding the weakest link you know sometimes if, or while it was push rods and it was springs and it was you know rods because that's just getting you know it at 7,500 RPM, the motor would last two, three races, no problem. And right now, I mean, I got the thing refined to it. It'll go three races, no problem. But yeah. you still want to check it, you know. You don't want to have just one spring go bad and just ruin your race when you're, you know, five, 600 miles away from home, you know. Yeah, no doubt. But you check it anyway. But, but you know, if the bearings are good and look good and clean, I'll scuff them a little bit, put them back in, and run them again because cause they'll, they'll, they'll last four or five races, no problem. Once you figure it out how to get them to last, they, they work well, but... You know, the the trick is to find it. Like that motor now makes, from the 227 we started, it's up over, the highest has been on a dyno is 325. 325, and this is a NA motor. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in about 20 years, I found a 100 horsepower. That's crazy. Yeah. That's absolutely Doesn't insane. Sound, I guess I could put a turbo on it and twist that knob and have that in a day, but. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah. and so you're still running the NA car? Still running the NA car. Um and what now? Running. Now is the reason why you don't jump over to turbos? It's just a just a whole other set of problems, or it's like building a new car again. You know what? My the guy that helps us out with the chassis, Albert from Dominator Engineering, uh-huh. he always wants me to build a turbo engine. And in fact, he's got a bunch of parts, and we're going to put one together to to probably go run some of those uh, cartel races over here. Yeah. If we ever have a track that opens again, so we're probably at one point in the near future going to have some type of turbo engine in the car to go do some laps. But my passion is those carburetors, you know, just getting that motor. How can I, I mean, I, how can I find one? How can I find two horsepower? It's just, it's just my, it's just my kick. It's like my drug. My wife makes fun of me because she, she'll see my eyes like rolling back in my head and I'm gears are turning and, and, and I just lose focus for, for just thinking about, you know, the next camshaft change or, or again, how can I bump the compression up? What can I do to make the car hook up a little bit better, or you know, whatever? But mostly, it's an engine. I'm an engine guy, and, and how can I find another one, another two? And and when we were dynoing over at Rogers, I mean, he had a dyno that was good enough to show us when we could, when we were making an extra horsepower or two. Really? You know, we'd make a change in a carburetor, and it made three horsepower, three flow, three uh, CFM on the flow bench through the heads we put on the dyno it found another three and then we go to the track and the car would go another half a mile an hour mile an hour faster so we had we had the at that point roger was helping us out a lot with with allowing us to use his dyno in his shop to to play and and so it was all showing you know when you could see have a vision and actually follow through and then see it see it work it was that was that was like the the good thing, you know, it's that that was just my my joy, yeah. you know, to see to see it actually actually you know me benefit and and then when you go to the track and the thing goes faster, then you know it was just that, that was what was keeping it exciting, you know. And now what's the what's that car running today? Now to, in twenty eleven, I see there's there there's something went down where you uh, uh, on one of the websites I was I was web searching you on there was something that you guys took in twenty eleven. You you won one of your classes in twenty eleven for the year. Is that what you did? Uh, 2011, you know what, 2011, we were actually running super stock, which is a whole other class. 
Yeah. And at that point, I think Anthony was driving. Anthony was driving for in Superstock, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll tell you why I, I was why that all happened, and it was a pretty cool story the way that happened. And I was running Super Street, and that was I think that was the last year of Super Street and PRA when PRA ended. And we won the Superstock Champion and the PRA uh, Super Street Championship the same year. So that was uh, that was the end of Super Street with PRA, and now they have the have Super Street and the BRS. So and now what's yeah, the, that was, what is the Super Street class? Super Street class right now? Yeah. Super Street class is hurting. We've down to probably four cars that would honestly go to the next races for sure, wow. and we have about. Two or three cars that talk about coming, and probably one or two that are in process. One that's really close to actually coming to the races. You just it's just a process to build a car. Right. But um, I mean, we've got enough cars. It's just I think somebody's gonna have to step up at one point and say, "Hey, we want these super street cars back out like they did with Pro Stock." If anybody cares to see us run and put a big purse, and they'll come out of the woodwork, you know, like when they have the Pro Stock Nationals. Sure. You know, guys coming from across the country, you know, to come win a decent purse, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so. what what's the so what's the the fastest that car's run to date, the car that you guys are campaigning now? Fastest is a nine ninety three at one thirty five and a half. Somewhere right around there. Wow, nine ninety three at one thirty five. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 pretty quick. You know, yeah, it's not bad. And then, not bad. so and you talked about the the bus transmission. I mean, the bus transmission is that big of a game changer. Like anybody that's running nines is not running a, a Type One box anymore. There is not one Super Street car right now that's competitive. And actually, you know what? There might be one guy that's still trying to run a Type One, but you know, you know what? I think even he switched to a Type Type Two. But, and it's just um, too—it's just too much power for the Type One case. And the Type One, well, where are you at cost-wise to build like a good Type Two? Because the Type Twos are all IRS, so that's where you have to go with the uh, like a double U-joint axle, or what do you do on that? Yeah, the, the folds conversion. Uh huh. I think Rancho sells it now too. I don't know if they sell it as theirs, but yeah, we—you switch to the car to that. Um, I mean, when I bought my tranny, it was probably about five, six grand. And what's the difference in re- in regards to like a bus box versus a Type One box rebuilds races, all that kind of stuff? Because it's going to cost you at least two grand for a a good bug trans, right? A bus tranny or a bug tranny? A beetle trans, like a just Type a One. A good type, a good Type One tranny right now, I would say is probably you can't even find axles for one thing. Um, but you're probably looking twenty five to three thousand dollars, and I figure a bus tranny is probably about six right now. And a bug tranny, you're probably going to crack that ring and pinion, at least crack it every every two races if you're if everything's right. And like I said, I've gone with that bus tranny for two three years and not touched it. Wow. Yeah. So the money. Yeah, well yeah talking of a game changer. Yeah. Oh, the money is. I've kicked myself in the butt for not having done it two years before. We would have been way more competitive sooner, and a lot, lot less headaches. I mean, one time at a. At the bug train at the bug ram in, in Sacramento, mm-hmm. probably second round of qualifying, we we break the tranny. Like dang it, you know. And our buddy Albert had uh, let us borrow his spare tranny. We had no idea what gears or anything were in it. He was a turbo guy, 
but it didn't have axles. So we pull the axles out of our tranny, and it turns out the thing has an old spool. And we 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 put the axles in the spool, and it doesn't fit. And we we're crazy enough back then. We actually changed the the whole center section of the Type One tranny out during oh, wow. the third round of qualifying and made first round. <laughs> Yeah, we went at it. We chased it. We got it. We got to the run, and I think we broke that tranny the next run anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's just how susceptible the, the type one trannies were. I mean, you could miss on, you could miss on the shocks, bounce bounce a tire. You know, not enough RPM, too much RPM, not enough traction, too much traction. I mean, it was really a fine line of getting it to live. Um, I did figure out at one point uh, we were still trying to run a Kennedy clutch. And we switched over to J and G, and that had enough give to where it kind of slipped a little bit off the line. Right. And that would help us get through a race with one tranny on a Type One, but it would still, you know, the next race it would, it would explode. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, so. you know, when you when, when you're drag racing, it's all about how fast you want to go and what's it going to cost you to go how fast. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I mean, sad enough. At, at one point, you got to make the investment, no matter how low budget you are. You there's many things you have to have to be competitive. Uh, but there are ways that the class is built right to run on a, run on a relative budget and, and be really competitive, you know? Yeah. Cause I know they've had, they've had the 1600 class. They, they, uh-huh. I think it was a super 1600 class where it was like, I think Fred Simpson started it, right? Is that the Fred one? Simpson started it. Fred Simpson killed it. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and what's the fastest they ran in a 1600 CC? What's the fastest times they squeezed out of 1600? See, that was a that was a bad thing because I think they made that the the idea was cool because I think it was it had a way stock weight, so the thing was like sixteen fifty seventeen hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. It's this wild six um, sixteen hundred that probably cost as much as a super street engine at that point, and he ran like twelve sixties if that, if I remember correctly, maybe thirteens. It was it was pretty slow. And then then they had a cadron class. Right, where yeah. it was like whatever you want, but you got to run CADs on the motor, and yep. I think the fastest I've seen one of those CADron cars run are, are they, were they running the 11s? Yeah, you know what I think uh, in uh, I want to say that one of the guys up the hill or maybe uh, AJ ran 11s. I mean the car weighed like 1,100 pounds, but yeah, I mean an 11 is an 11 no matter how you did it. So yeah, it was pretty quick. And then you know, and all the all the motivation behind those classes are to get more people racing. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, uh, the key with keeping the drag racing scene packed is just more participants, and so that's why you know a lot of times with the Bugarama stuff, they've got that sportsman class, and I think all the real drag racers get super annoyed because there's forty six cars in sport, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and forty six cars running twenty two second quarter miles. And everybody's just sitting there. You know, you got the guy. There's always that guy in the VW thing, man, that's running a 2450 uh, ET, and he's just doing it every time. But, um, you know, that I think with anything to get to get it competitive, it's got to be open to everybody. And then with the, with the constant changing of everything, you know, the, the sanctioning bodies and all that stuff, what, yeah. what is now going to be – What's the new thing that we're going to see out there for drag racing? Is it has it changed like that much? Is it is it such a big difference now because there's really no solid sanctioning body? Where do the drag racers go today? Um, I mean they got the BRS well, right. BRS is I think BRS is down to three events as well. Yeah, I think Phoenix and the two Sacramento's. 
definitely walked away from Fontana. Uh, uh, the uh, Periscope, they have their two drag days and the the bug in. Uh-huh. Um, also three races. <clears throat> and then the Fast Fork Cartel guys, I think they're trying to get two or three races. And then the guys up north, um, is that the Fast Fork Cartel, the yeah, guys up north? Fast Four is way yeah, their so, way up. Like they just had a race in Oregon. Yes, 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 then. So, and there was another another association down here too. But yeah, those those guys are setting up fun stuff. It's a little open. Uh, um, you know, it's going to take somebody to show up because the rule. I, I've always been a stickler to rules. You know, if you make the class good enough, you can get a car count where it doesn't become just about money. Sure. And and actually, about two thousand and probably oh nine ish, I called. Uh, the guys from Periscope and said, Hey, I got an idea for a class and, uh, and I want to present it to you guys. I think it's something good. Cause I just saw the, I saw when, when Roger and I got into running chasing the nines, it became, I mean, the, the rest of the field kind of fell back and like Ron Fleming was pretty, you know, right behind us. But a couple of the other guys, it just got more difficult. And there was guys, you know, spending a lot of money trying to get those nines going, but we were just on a tear. And I mean, we were running nines and the other guys were running twenties and thirties, you know, in the drag race, that's a, that's a lot, you know, you don't make up two, you don't make up two tenths and it takes you, it could take you years. And, um, and so we were down again, we were down at that point, we were down to three, four cars, you know, I think the last towards the end, it was just, I think nobody showed up to the final, final race with Roger and I just so nobody would just ruin the race. I do. We just want you guys to hash this out. I'm like, okay, so. That was the last race between Roger and I, but um, I came up with that idea for the Superstock class, which was basically not Super Street Junior because I really tightened up the class where you had to run a stock style head, but mm-hmm. everything was 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 maximized, maximum valve sizes, maximum minimum piston size, uh, maximum carburetor size, maximum engine size, you know, weights, all that things, maximum fuel. Uh, the only titanium was like the valves and, and for the inaugural event, we actually had eight cars, which is the typical field right now. And by the end of the first season, I think I had 14 cars showing up for an eight car field. Wow. And with, with five of the cars running eighth mile within a tenth of each other. And, and it was intense, good side by side drag racing, you know, heads up, you know, let it all hang out and who gets to the finish line first wins and it went well you know it's it's still alive that class is still going pretty good they run that at the buggins and the drag days and that's um that's a great class i mean that's still it's still my baby i I let it go after about two years because i'm a racer and i wanted to get back into the racing because when i stepped back to run the class obviously i didn't feel feel that it would be right that i'd create a class and then go out there and run it myself sure but um with Anthony, we're talking, I'm like, dude, let's build a re- engine and you run, drive it, you know? So, you know, I built the engine and Anthony drove it and I think he won the first two championships. One, we won and kind of the same thing. I was really taking information I learned on the super shoot engine, t- put in a super shoot engine, try to change on the super stock engine, apply it to the super shoot engine and just, I mean, the, it just went, it was just, uh, we were just steamrolling them with those two engines and finding horsepower left and right because that engine started at about, 225 by the time we were done with it it made 260 on roger's dyno with stock heads wow and uh and some mp uh, mp51 carburetors so 
that was uh, that motor. That motor house. I'm honestly more impressed with that little engine than I am with my Super Street motor. Really? Because because that thing's as it's. I I was always about seeing what I could do with something that's off the shelf, and obviously the heads are custom done by Anthony. But I mean, we're talking the bug pack off the shelf crank, um, potter rods that anybody can buy, pistons anybody can buy, uh, Revmaster cylinders that anybody could buy, a stock case, um, and you know. My the camshaft that I wanted to run, I ended up with an angle cam, and and the thing hauled ass. We said, you know, won a Wally with it at the first NHRA race at a harder class, um, broke the national record four times. So we actually held the record four times, and still nobody's ever gone quicker than us within that record. And that's a uh, we were at ten forty nine and over one twenty five. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that's at this point, it's almost ten years, and nobody's gone that fast. And and that record is in what sanctioning body, or is it just a class NHRA. record? NHRA. N- NHRA. Yeah. Does but it, actually, this is the bad thing: is actually every two years, if if you don't show up, the the record resets. Oh, really? In a super stock class, they reset the records just to get people back out there. Wow. Because there'll be guys that'll show up and and get a you know get a hair up their ass and and bury a record by by you know, two seconds in a class that nobody ever runs. So they reset it. So somebody might want to come back out because that kind of becomes your dial. You could, if you run too quick, they'll actually start dinging your dial to where you have to run so fast to even be able to qualify at a race. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a, I mean, that's a whole different Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you set a record and then you got to come out and reset it, otherwise it goes away type thing. That's kind of. Yeah. A little bit. We funky. chased that for about a, we chased that for about a year. A year or two, and and we we broke the record four times, and, uh, and then honestly we sat sat back for a few years, and and just kind of observed, you know, just kind of hang, hung out and and just relaxed. And at that point, I kind of my uh, my dad was the 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 Volkswagen guy passed away. Oh. And I kind of lost so, my mojo yeah. for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a you know, it took it took me. A, yeah, that's when that's actually when Buddy. Um, I wanted to finish the car because it was always my car was always ratty tatty, you know the right. white doors, black fenders. Dad always gave sticker, it. The, Dad always gave it the side eye, huh? <laughs> <laughs> stickers covering where the paint had fallen off. I was like, why do you have ten heads up stickers on your car? Because there's a big piece of paint missing behind them. Right. <laughs> and uh, and and I wanted to finish the car before before he passed away, and so we started the process with Buddy, but. You know the the it was cancer. It, it, it was a it was a it was a hard battle. We fought and uh, yeah. but we didn't finish the car. You know, but uh, you know with the help of Buddy and and friends and family, you know we finished it after he passed away. Is a nice little you know uh, picture of him painted into the car, a little tribute on the back, and uh, and we got back out in first race with the painted car. We won that race. So nice. You know, and uh, yeah, now we're just trying to get back into it little by little and. Uh, yeah, just chasing that. The next, the next step now is trying to run 980s. No, that's. Uh, I mean, 980s is quick, man. <laughs> for yeah, na- it's for, for naturally aspirated, that's unbelievably quick. It's pretty good and a heavyweight car. I mean, we were Super Street runs at ten and three quarter pounds per cubic inch, which is pretty heavy. The car's still over with my size engine over sixteen hundred pounds, sixteen twenty five. Oh, that's a that's a that's a heavy car for a drag car. I mean for a vw drag car you know it's heavy yep. yeah so that's i mean that's pretty impressive you, you can get it to go that quick so yeah on the uh on the 
on the racing front now that everything's kind of kind of down and dead and all this kind of stuff i know that they canceled that big race that everybody was planning on doing here uh for that vegas yeah. weekend they canceled that now we're still trying to get our event up and going but it just depends on what they're going to do here hopefully we'll get at least 60 days ramp up time before we can put the thing on to confirm if it happens but you know coincidentally i think on that same weekend there may be a test in tune uh or a um uh, I, yeah, I just think it's a test and tune night here at the drag strip. So who knows if we're able to get our weekend, maybe, uh, if we can do something, you know, it's, it's something I've always, I've often thought about, you know, if we could, cause now here in Vegas and I don't know what they're doing on the test and tune nights. I don't know if they're running the four wide track or what they're doing, but it sure mm-hmm. would be cool if, uh, you know, we could coordinate something like that to happen on this VW weekend that we plan on still having if, if we're opened up and everything's good by then. And I really think, honestly, if we do a 30-day advance or 45-day advance notice, people will make, you know, people have been pinned up so long this year that, that oh I, I think, especially for a huge VW event here in Las Vegas, I think, uh, you know, I think it would be gangbuster. So hopefully we're going to be able to pull that off. And uh, who knows if there's an opportunity to have some, you know, Saturday night drag race and we can say everybody can go down and watch, man. I think that would be, that would be, Heck yeah. you know, pretty cool. So as far as like in the drag racing scene is, is there, I mean, one of the things that, that I think about drag racing, it's like, it's kind of like the UFC. Uh, we talked about this earlier before we had this conversation. Um, you, and what I mean by that is like, if you don't know who the fighters are, you don't really have that much interest. And True. I think from a drag racing standpoint, if there was a way to build who, who the players are and know a little bit of their backstory, I think it might get a lot more people involved in wanting to see, you know, we know that, you know, that, 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 you know, DNA racing is like out of pocket, full budget, going against the big guys, whatever the case is, trying to just, you know, slug it out. I think there's more interest for people to watch that stuff and, and kind of follow along and, and just trying to figure out maybe a medium we could put together to to get people a little more engaged so that when the next race is, people may just go out to the to the to the show just to see the race, you know. Um what's the big thing that's that's going on right now with with the drag racing scene? Like what's the new hot ticket that everybody's trying to trying to get to or what's the evolution of things because because once you start getting timing and injection and things to that extent i mean i would think that that would open up a whole nother level of stuff on the vw plane um i mean yeah promotion promotion needs to step up purses need to probably get better if you want the faster cars to come out consistently um and coverage. I mean, we really don't have anywhere where we're seeing it. It's, it's so minimal now. Um, we did a pretty cool event over here with a bunch of V8s, and we were kind of like the sideshow. But there was – and the race got – you know what? We ran out of daylight out here in Fontana, so the final never came to fruition. But mm-hmm. but ultimately, there was no coverage. I got back, and, and I only went there just to test my, my new combo that I was working on and got in with a bunch of turbo cars, didn't even make it out of first round. And uh, – but I got back and there wasn't one picture of any of us anywhere, you know. Not um, a single VW. Not one that I found, you know. Maybe there was on Facebook on a couple little things, but there was like back in the day when I did the whole Superstock thing, we had the the forum, the California forum, mm-hmm. and I would create. And I don't know if it was the California forum or or the other one that came after, but 
I would actually do a full write-up with ETs, and I mean, it sounded more like a boxing match than anything, you know, it's like so-and-so's racing so-and-so, and, you know, all he got to do was look at a lot of deck lid because he, you know, he was late on the tree and just chick turn quotes, all kinds of, of fun stuff, and people would call me, dude, that was the best one, I'm so ready for the next one, and it was three races a year, but I mean, and then and then the racers, once they'd read it and they'd start bashing on each other, and for as bad as it sounds that we were bashing each other, it was creating competition, you know, and and an excitement for the class, and everybody was wound up. I mean, we'd have people that would clock in, they would log in, and they would just put a picture of a popcorn cup, and that's all that that was all they logged in because they were just there for the show because we would just go at it all night, you know, and. um and we're getting coverage in the mags, but yeah, the, the, the people were excited because there was, like you said, everybody knew who drove the green car. Everyone know who drew the, who drove the white car, uh, who drove the blue car, you know, um, who was number one qualifier. We have a hat for the number one qualifier. We have a hat for the winner. So get, winning that hat was a big thing, you know, so there was, there was more excitement. I mean, and I, and I, I came up with pretty good purses. I called a lot of people that helped out get the class going. Um, but I, I think promotion needs to step up and, and step out of the box and, 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 you know, we're obviously, we're grateful for anybody that helps us, but, you know, I think there's opportunity to maybe get somebody a little bigger with deeper pockets that, that would be willing to, to help. I mean, that's, that's what I would imagine could possibly happen, you know, what would be needed. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the coverage, I mean, I don't know how much coverage is on, you know, Javi W's or, my my kid got into RC cars lately. Jacob, he's 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 grown up. He's uh, he's actually been kind of like stepping in as crew chief as Anthony's been running the classes lately. But um, he's in RC cars, and I've been I've been actually helping him kind of crew his little RC cars. It's fun right now that nothing else is going on. I mean, we're racing RC cars, playing ping pong, whatever we could do to stay active. But uh, something something with competition. But man, he showed me this video of of just one race on YouTube, and it was like that i mean the europeans are here and the americans <laughs> kind of like them but they kind of don't and so so it said something about so and so and and they're going to hash it out on the track and you know and and it was just an rc car race but the video was probably about 30 minutes of one race and it was it was awesome i mean i'm a 50 year old guy and i'm like stuck to the to the tv like checking it out like whoa that's cool you know yeah and and we just we just lost that i mean we used to have video dan he used to come do the videos and he got run out of Dodge for some reason. So, I mean, um, you ever have you ever gone to those drift races? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought, to me, honestly, I, I, I always thought it was kind of like, ah, this is not real racing. I thought it was a joke. But my, my son, he's in the, a little bit of, he's definitely a Volkswagen guy. He's got a, a pretty cool street 65 that he, he's built his little engine for. He runs yeah. really hard. But um, he got some tickets and invited me to the drift race. I'm like, ah, let's go, you know, checked it out. Man, that was incredible show you know and they have these these uh the announcers are just bump you know pumping up the crowd who's gonna win the left lane or the right lane and everyone yeah no you know and and they got a screen going on they even have a a, a drone chasing the cars during the during the race and i'm like oh, jake where's that where's that video from you know it almost looks like a video game he's like and, and i look and I'm like, holy shit it's a little drone in between the cars on the track yeah you know and it's like I, I talked to Ron. I'm like, dude, you guys got to start doing stuff like that. Let's get this, get the YouTube videos, get the people excited, get them back out there, you know? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that it takes. And I think sometimes in the VWC and everybody gets a little bit jaded in regards to like, oh, they're going to come to the event anyway. And it no just, matter what, right? Yeah. And it gets, and, and, and 
Exactly. You're right. I think on the promotion end, they're not doing enough promotion. There's not enough buildup. I mean, really, how hard would it be to make a, a a three minute video saying, "Okay, here's who we have in Super Street, and here's Pro Eliminator, and here's Super Gas, and here, here these are the top contenders, and here's what's happened last round." You know what I mean? Just a little bit of a hype video to get people a, a little bit invested into what's going on. And who knows? You never know, yeah, man. I mean, maybe uh, Let's yeah. Talk Dubs could help with some of that stuff. I just need you know, a little bit of information as to what's going on and if we're ever going to have another drag race again. I mean, who the heck knows? Yeah, let us know. I mean, we'll bring the Superstock class up. No problem. We'll find a way to get your eight cars up there and, and build it up. I mean, that's like I said, I stepped back from running the class, but I, I used to do all that hyping up, and, and people were really excited to see it. And it's still good racing, but but uh, but the hype is, is kind of gone, you know. nobody Like you said, nobody knows who's there. People in the pits, what car, what class are you running? Back then it was like, Right, there's a super stock number one, and that's so and so, and that's so and so. It was it was really cool, and that's gone right now. It's it's just that that's gone. It's a shame. Well, hopefully we'll you know we'll be able to work on some stuff to help get it back. And uh, the more we have some of this stuff, and by all means, the next time that we have a for sure race coming up, and and you want to give some insight and some what to look for and who to look out for, and 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 who's up and coming, maybe we get you back on the podcast and talk about some of that stuff and and get people a little more engaged in some of the drag racing. So everybody's got some, you know, like I said, it's always fun to watch a, a team play football when you get a team, but if it ain't one of your teams, <laughs> you got nothing to watch. You know what I mean? It's just a couple guys exactly. playing a game. So, yeah, yeah, but no, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I'm in. Yeah. Count me in. If you guys need help, I'm always, I'm always willing to help with something. Oh, well, that's it, man. Well, for sure. I definitely appreciate, uh, I appreciate having on the podcast uh, before we wrap it up. Did you want to give any shout outs to some people that have helped you throughout the throughout, you know, all this and, and your drag racing, you know, career and, and enjoying your hobby? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a, a few sponsors that have definitely helped out. Uh, Heads Up Performance, Roger. I mean, the shop doesn't exist, but Roger's still there and good friend. He always helped out. Dominator Engineering, Albert Munoz. Kind of the same thing. You know, everyone's kind of getting to that age where they're starting to, to change their path, but he was always there to help us out building chassis and, I mean, he had a nice 3,600-square-foot shop that wasn't used for anything except for working on that car sometimes. I mean, yeah. and that's what we did, you know? So, um, you know, I was grateful for him. Uh, Fred Simpson, Performance Technology, years ago. So I saw him at the MP show not the last year and sat down and actually chatted with him for a while and talked in a while. That was, that was uh, you know, nice to reminisce, and he was always very helpful and, you know, pushed to – to maybe get, make me work harder to, to, to get where I wanted to be with, with certain things. Uh, Bug Pack helped us out a lot, and they're owned by MP now. MP's helped us out plenty. Uh, Jesse at MP's helped us out with parts. Um, you know, and on the racing side, like I said, my son Jacob's helped me out, you know, tearing the car apart and pitting, uh, crewing. Uh, Matt Todd, incredible tin work with Buddy over there painting the car, uh, you know, Type 1 Restorations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, on the racing, I mean, Anthony's been my buddy since high school. So, I mean, like I said, the never-ending help on the never-ending project because the guy's been there from day one. And, uh, you know. And then, of course, I got family. My cousin George helped me paint the car originally. He was always a fan. And my other cousin, Elliot, dragging the car around with my uncle. And um, we actually used to show up in a box truck with the car inside. And my Uncle Andy was always <laughs> fun. And, you know, we, anything to get to the races and then – you know, and my, my wife, Shalyn, my, my daughter, Sophia, always, you know, help, helping me, let me, let me, how about this, letting me do what, what I do, you know, right. that, that's such, a, I, I'm really, 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 really lucky to have, 
have the family that supports, enjoys it. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to get a little street car going from her. She says it's not hers because I'm probably going to drive it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm building a car for her. <laughs> Started off as a little putt, but now it's going to have probably like a nice little low 11, 10 second engine. So we'll see. <laughs> nice, nice. But, she, but, she, but she's a racer too. So we'll see. I've, I got to get her in powder puff. I've been telling her for a while. So that's next, but well, that's right, yeah. Man. And then of course my, my parents too. I mean, without my dad, um, you know, and my mom, my mom used to, my mom used to actually be amazed at because with Anthony, we'd break the car on Friday and have it ready for work on Monday. And it was like every week. And, and my dad would you know, yell at us. I had that car for 10 years. Like I think I said at the beginning and I never touched it. <laughs> it, was, but, uh, it was bulletproof liable till you put your hands on it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So those, you know, that the, the friends, the family, it's, it's a, it's a small group, but in, in, in my heart, it's, it's huge, you know? So no, that's awesome, man. So the, before, yeah whatever next event comes up man let's get you on the let's get you on the podcast let's talk about who's doing what and who to look out for on whatever whatever the next race is going to be and maybe try to hype up uh hype some of that up to where we get some more people engaged and involved in uh in drag racing and by all means uh you know i'd love to love to have you back on the podcast and talk about some more stuff sounds good yeah let's do it come in you got it. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll have to do it again. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, brother. Take care. Bye. If you like that podcast, and I'm sure you did if you're a real VW enthusiast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, you want to support, go to our website, letstalkdubs.com, and pick up some merch to support your boy. Also, support the sponsors that sponsor this podcast. Until next week, guys, you got something good coming up. We got our first listener podcast. So if you guys are working on big things out there, make sure you email me some content or get at me on Facebook. Let me know what you're working on, and we could have you on the podcast for an interview. Till next week, guys. Later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have.